0: Chapter forty five of the Adventures of Ferdinand Count Fathom by Tobias Smollett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Such aggravated misfortune could not fail to affect his temper and deportment. The continual efforts he made to conceal his vexation produced a manifest distraction in his behaviour and discourse. He began to be seized with horror at the sight of poor Monimia whom he therefore shunned as much as the circumstances of their correspondence would allow, and every evening he went forth alone to some solitary place, where he could, unperceived, give a loose to the transports of his sorrow, and in silence meditate some means to lighten the burden of his woe. His heart was sometimes so savaged with despair, which represented mankind as his inveterate enemies, that he entertained thoughts of denouncing war against the whole community and supplying his own wants with the spoils he should win. At other times he was tempted with the desire of putting an end to his miseries and life together. Yet these were but the transitory suggestions of temporary madness that soon yielded to the dictates of reason. From the execution of the first, he was restrained by his own notions of honour and morality, and from using the other expedient, he was deterred by his love for Monimia, together with the motives of philosophy and religion. While in this manner he secretly nursed the worm of grief that preyed upon his vitals, the alteration in his countenance and conduct did not escape the eyes of that discerning young lady. She was alarmed at the change, yet afraid to inquire into the source of it, for being ignorant of his distress, she could impute it to no cause in which her happiness was not deeply interested. She had observed his strained complacence and extraordinary emotion. She had detected him in repeated attempts to avoid her company and taken notice of his regular excursions in the dark. These were alarming symptoms to a lover of her delicacy and pride. She strove in vain to put the most favorable construction on what she saw, and finally imputed the effects of his despondence to the alienation of his heart. Made miserable beyond expression by these suspicions, she imparted them to Fathom, who by this time was in full possession of her confidence and esteem, and implored his advice touching her conduct in such a nice conjuncture. This artful politician, who rejoiced at the effect of her penetration, no sooner heard himself questioned on the subject than he gave tokens of surprise and confusion, signifying his concern to find she had discovered what, for the honour of his friend, he wished had never come to light, his behaviour on this occasion confirmed her fatal conjecture, and she conjured him, in the most pathetic manner, to tell her if he thought Rinaldo's heart had contracted any new engagement. At this question he started with signs of extreme agitation, and stifling an artificial sigh. "'Sure, madam,' said he, "'you cannot doubt the Count's constancy. I am confident he is certainly—' "'I protest, madam, I am so shocked.' Here he made a full pause, as if the conflict between his integrity and his friendship would not allow him to proceed, and summoned the moisture into either eye. "'Then are my doubts removed,' cried the afflicted Bonimia. "'I see your candor in the midst of your attachment to Rinaldo, and will no longer torment you with impertinent interrogations and vain complaints.' With these words a flood of tears gushed from her enchanting eyes and she instantly withdrew into her own apartment, where she indulged her sorrow to excess. Nor was her grief unanimated with resentment. She was, by birth, nature, and education, inspired with that dignity of pride which ennobles the human heart, and this, by the circumstance of her present dependence, was rendered extremely jealous and susceptible, insomuch that she could not brook the least shadow of indifference much less an injury of such a nature from the man whom she had honoured with her affections, and for whom she had disobliged and deserted her family and friends. Though her love was so unalterably fixed on this unhappy youth, that, without the continuation of reciprocal regard, her life would have become an unsupportable burden, even amidst all the splendour of affluence and pomp, and although she foresaw that, when his protection should cease, she must be left a wretched orphan in a foreign land, exposed to all the miseries of want. Yet such was the loftiness of her displeasure, that she disdained to complain, or even demand an explanation, from the supposed author of her wrongs. While she continued undetermined in her purpose, and fluctuating on this sea of torture, Fathom, believing that now was the season for working upon her passions, while they were all in commotion, became, if possible, more assiduous than ever about the fair mourner, modelled his features into a melancholy cast, pretended to share her distress with the most emphatic sympathy, and endeavoured to keep her resentment glowing by cunning insinuations, which, though apparently designed to apologise for his friend, served only to aggravate the guilt of his perfidy and dishonour. This pretext of friendly concern is the most effectual vehicle for the conveyance of malice and slander, and a man's reputation is never so mortally stabbed, as when the assassin begins with the preamble of for my own part i can safely say that no man upon earth has a greater regard for him than i have and it is with the utmost anguish and concern that i see him misbehave in such a manner then he proceeds to mangle his character and the good-natured hearers concluding that he is even blacker than he is represented, on the supposition that the most atrocious circumstances are softened or suppressed by the tenderness or friendship of the accuser, exclaim, Good lack! What a wretch he must be, when his best friends will no longer attempt to defend him! Nay, sometimes these well-wishers undertake his defence, and treacherously betray the cause they have espoused, by omitting the reasons that may be urged in his vindication. Both these methods were practised by the wily Ferdinand, according to the predominant passion of Monimia. When her indignation prevailed, he expatiated upon his love and sincere regard for Rinaldo, which he said had grown up from the cradle to such a degree of fervour that he would willingly part with life for his advantage. He shed tears for his apostasy, but every drop made an indelible stain upon his character, and in the bitterness of his grief, swore notwithstanding, his fondness for Rinaldo, which had become a part of his constitution, that the young Hungarian deserved the most infamous destiny for having injured such perfection. At other times, when he found her melted into silent sorrow, he affected to excuse the conduct of his friend. He informed her that the young gentleman's temper had been uneven from his infancy, that frailty was natural to man, that he might in time be reclaimed by self-conviction. He even hinted that she might have probably ascribed to inconstancy what was really the effect of some chagrin which he industriously concealed from his participation. But when he found her disposed to listen to this last suggestion, he destroyed the force of it by recollecting the circumstances of his nocturnal rambles, which he owned would admit of no favourable construction. By these means he blew the coals of her jealousy and enhanced the value of his own character at the same time for she looked upon him as a mirror of faith and integrity, and the mind, being overcharged with woe, naturally seeks some confidant, upon whose sympathy it can repose itself. Indeed, his great aim was to make himself necessary to her affliction, and settle a gossiping correspondence in the familiarity of which he hoped his purpose would certainly be answered. Yet the exertion of these talents was not limited to her alone. While he laid these trains for the hapless young lady, he was preparing snares of another kind for her unsuspecting lover, who, for the completion of his misery about this time, began to perceive marks of disquiet and displeasure in the countenance and deportment of his adored monimia. For that young lady, in the midst of her grief, remembered her origin— and over her vexation affected to throw a veil of tranquillity, which served only to give an air of disgust to her internal disturbance. Rinaldo, whose patience and philosophy were barely sufficient to bear the load of his other evils, would have been quite overwhelmed with the additional burden of Monimia's woe, if it had not assumed this appearance of disesteem, which, as he knew he had not deserved it, brought his resentment to his assistance. Yet this was but a wretched cordial to support him against the baleful reflections that assaulted him from every quarter. It operated like those desperate remedies which, while they stimulate exhausted nature, help to destroy the very fundamentals of the Constitution. He reviewed his own conduct with the utmost severity, and could not recollect one circumstance which could justly offend the idol of his soul. The more blameless he appeared to himself in this examination, the less excusable did her behaviour appear. He tasked his penetration to discover the cause of this alteration. He burned with impatience to know it. His discernment failed him, and he was afraid, though he knew not why, to demand an explanation. His thoughts were so circumstanced that he durst not even unbosom himself to fathom though his own virtue and friendship resisted those sentiments that began to intrude upon his mind, with suggestions to the prejudice of our adventurer's fidelity. Nevertheless, unable to endure the torments of such interesting suspense, he at length made an effort to expostulate with the fair orphan, and, in an abrupt address, the effect of his fear and confusion begged to know if he had inadvertently done anything to incur her displeasure. Monimia, hearing herself bluntly accosted in this unusual strain, after repeated instances of his reserve and supposed inconstancy, considered the question as a fresh insult, and summoning her whole pride to her assistance, replied with affected tranquillity, or rather with an air of scorn, that she had no title to judge, neither did she pretend to condemn his conduct this answer, so wide of that tenderness and concern which had hitherto manifested itself in the disposition of his amiable mistress, deprived him of all power to carry on the conversation, and he retired with a low bow, fully convinced of his having irretrievably lost the place he had possessed in her affection. For, to his imagination, warped and blinded by his misfortunes, her demeanour seemed fraught, not with a transient gleam of anger, which a respectful lover would soon have appeased, but with that contempt and indifference which denote a total absence of affection and esteem. She, on the other hand, misconstrued his sudden retreat, and now they beheld the actions of each other through the false medium of prejudice and resentment. To such fatal misunderstandings the peace and happiness of whole families often fall a sacrifice. End of chapter 45